Hi, friends. Uh, it's just a little little opener here. Um, so we recorded this episode uh, with our special guest, Sam Zimmerman, a while back. I mean, I'm talking like six or eight months ago. And I my computer just totally fucked up my audio. So what we're going to do today is a little bit of an experiment. Um, I'm just going to like Mario Kart ghost this. Like, uh, I'm going to try and throw some 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 responses in they will probably not line up. Um, I did, I remember before this episode, I was really set and gave a lot of history and it was a very like serious, intelligent conversation. I imagine I am not going to be faithful to that because uh, thanks to my ADHD, I forget things immediately. So listener, you and I are basically both going into this episode for the first time. Uh, <laughs> enjoy. People get cut. It's life. Home's a collaborative meeting. I'll send you a copy. Payback's a bitch. Together forever. Clear. We are the weirdos. I am God. What? I tried to warn her. Hello, everybody out there, and welcome back to your, I'm gonna make the call and say your favorite horror material-related podcast, Otsterion. I, it's your favorite, it's my favorite, and we are people of taste Co-host, what introduce co-host? What's your name? I this is Jordan Cruciola, and you are. Oh, Sam Weinman. Sam Weinman, and we have <laughs> a very we have a friend with us today who very early when we announced Odds Tyrion was like, I've got to talk about the I like I don't know if you're gonna have me like you were very polite about it, but you were like if if I can come on, this is what I need to talk about. Guest, who are you, and what did you need to talk to us about here today on Odds Tyrion? Hi, um, uh, I'm Sam Zimmerman. I'm director of programming at Shudder. And you're right, I was I was trying to ride a line between saying I want to talk about this film, but I also don't want to invite myself because that's rude. But <laughs> yeah. I'm very thankful you saw fit to have me on. Um, I'm here today to talk about the 2007, as far as I'm concerned, modern classic by Alexandre Bustillo and Julia Mori, Inside. And I, I, this is our first delve into... The French cinema of the Ots Tyrion era. Mm. This is we are breaking the seal on it with this and with what I consider to be the and and we were talking about it right before recording. I think we are in agreement on this. This is the peak of what was happening around the sort of new French extremity wave. Completely and then agree. you have some additional thoughts on where this movie might fit in the new French extremity wave. You said like yes. is this you know where do you, where do you uh, see this as existing in that ecosystem of films? Sure. I, I'm, I, I think it might be a second wave or second generation mm, okay. film. Um, the sort of uh, uh, taking back Sunday to uh, trouble every day's sunny day real estate, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think because I was, I was thinking a lot about the term and the sort of idea of New French Extremity. And I understood that much like torture porn, that term was coined as a pejorative. Right. In mm-hmm. 2004. And so that was in like an art form art, art forum article by that point i think it was like six to eight years into movies like this where there was like an identifiable content or wave or theme you know there i don't remember Catherine what the Rayoff. film it was that it was attached to but it was david edelstein writing in new york magazine and i think it, that I, was torture porn yeah that was torture porn yes uh the the new french Tremendy ah. was in art form and it was about bruno dumont mm. And it was sort of the latest in a wave of films that you would t- that they were talking about Claire Denis Trouble Every Day mm-hmm. and Catherine Bayard and Romance and Anatomy of Violence and Anatomy of Hell, 
her films and Bruno Dumont and Gaspar Noé so the, and Francois Zahn especially. So there have already been six to eight years of stuff mm-hmm, like this. Mm-hmm. And Francois Zahn made a movie in the late 90s called See the Sea, which I love. Mm-hmm. It's about 50 minutes long. It was co-written by Marina Devan, who was also part of this wave with In My Skin. Um, and Inside, to me, feels like there's a thread between See the Sea mm. and Inside. Um, so I, I do feel there's a second generation, second wave quality of this film to the idea of the new French extremity. So I, I think it's up for debate whether it's new French extremity, because I always think like once a term's been coined, once a label is out there, it's hard to say this is part of the movement or if this is uh, because of the movement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think I said something really smart here. <laughs> Probably about high. T- oh no, I was going to say I would, yeah, I, would I would, I would, I would believe that only because we recently had a conversation about wild things. Yes. Wild where things. Sam was like, I've right. only Again. seen Wild mm-hmm. Things three, and <laughs> it's not because he wouldn't know the other ones existed. Just be like, just in the order of operations, it was like, well, of course I saw Wild Things three first, and like I respect that the original is a classic, but this is just how it happened. So if you were like, oh, okay, well, we're definitely going to talk about like inside the American version. Absolutely, like, it's weird to me that the American inside is directed by the same filmmaker who made the other most brutal home invasion movie of the aughts, uh, Miguel Angel Vivas, who made Kidnapped, the film from Spain. Oh, okay. Which is incredible. Okay. Um, it, it blows my mind that he then kind of turned around and then made <laughs> a, a strange, bad remake of Inside. But you know, mm-hmm. life is weird. I, don't know. I mean, is it strange? Is it bad? I mean... I haven't seen it, so I imagine that uh, I'm talking about that here like I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I watched the trailer before we recorded this episode, so I would sound smart and impress Sam Zimmerman because he's so brilliant and such a great guest and here right now, but cannot hear me. I have seen me. it. It's not very I good. I have not seen it. But so. it has a brilliant, the casting is brilliant in that the Beatrice Dahl part is played by Laura Herring from Mulholland Drive. Oh, So you're okay, sort that's of, you great. see the, like, you're sort of like, I see what mm-hmm. you're doing. You're mm-hmm. almost there. But ultimately, the movie doesn't end. They, of course, they die at the ending. Right. <laughs> so. I I think there's a... Oh, sorry, Sam. Continue. Oh, God. I hope not. Um, maybe we could talk about High Tension or Martyrs here, which mm-hmm. both have their own homophobic roots. <laughs> um, when you think about the ending of High Tension or something like Martyrs. It's the like year Martyrs. you have your doctorate in. Oh, God. So I'm apparently I'm talking about 2007 mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 2007, to give you some context about France, uh, which I did a ton of research on but have not brushed up on since this episode. And thank mm-hmm. God Sam Zimmerman did. And he's going to tell you all about it. But mm-hmm. um, preceding 2007, there were the 2005 French riots, which mostly took place in the suburbs of Paris and other French cities. And that's why there's that theme of suburbs that keeps coming up again and again in the film. Mm-hmm. You also see it in films like Them um, and other French films coming out of this era where where it's like a fear of or uh, or commentary on, you know, there is go for it. There's certainly a same, same, but different quality to themes and aspects and goings on, you know, some of the aughts horror or the, you know, the torture porn era that was wrestling with our, our then political climate and xenophobia. Yes. Oh, good. I got this right. That was certainly directed toward, Arab Americans and mm-hmm. the yeah. Middle East. And it, it's different, but it's not because of the time of the riots in France did have a lot to do with underserved communities yes. in the suburbs of Paris and in the Banlieues. And that was occupied by a lot of Arab French and a lot mm-hmm. of Arab immigrants. And 
they were certainly being demonized by the sort of like yes. nationalist French, especially there was um, a right wing movement at the time, a right wing rise. Uh, and you certainly see that a little bit seeping in and inside and what's going on around Sarah at home, isolated. It, so it's interesting. There are very specific moments in each country, but I also feel like there's not there. There's similar causes, I guess, or similar things on the country's minds. And just for a bit of uh, a bit of context, you know, just the slightest bit of it, uh, Inside is about a woman who has been left a widow and she is at full term in her pregnancy. She is depressed. She is bereft. And she has a C-section scheduled for, you know, it's basically for tomorrow. The for movie Christmas kind of like day, sets us up way. with already it's a day. She's <laughs> the hospital. She's coming back for a C-section tomorrow. Yeah, Christmas. What a Christmas gift. Um, <laughs> but before she gets to that tomorrow, she's going to have to survive the night, which becomes an escalatingly insane, violent, harrowing home invasion experience with La Femme mm. trying to get into the house La and femme. attack the woman to take that imminently, imminent, soon-to-be-born baby from her body and keep it for herself. She's going to take it right out. And along the way, police enter the home, mm-hmm. family family members enter the home, and Everybody's it just entering this keeps home. getting worse and worse and worse as La Femme keeps taking people out who mm-hmm. are attempting to help this woman, and it becomes one of the bloodiest, surprise bloodiest spectacles I had seen to my to that point in my life. When I watched this, I watched it a couple years late. I was at Wired Magazine at the time, so this was probably sometime around... 2012 13 when i saw it and i was watching it for a pod uh, a video show that i was doing with the magazine at the time and i wanted to have like the most immersive experience possible while watching it at work so i took my laptop into a storage closet (laughs) completely dark sat in a corner turned off the lights and watched it with my headphones in and that was a really fucking jarring way to um, take that movie in, knowing that there was a whole office and life happening outside where when it ended and I was dealing with it, I just walked into the hall like as lunch was about to happen. They were like, oh, what are you up to? And I was like, oh gosh, I don't know where to begin. So, so you were like fully inside. traumatized. Oh, I can't ask you questions. Um, that is that is yeah. horrific. Yeah. I mean, and, and it is a no. disgusting movie. Oh, I can't ask you questions. But right. Okay. Um, it does. And that's my favorite Fuck. kind of horror mm. um, i often say like my favorite mode of horror or tone of horror is sad horror or aggressive bummer oh horror. Okay. i okay. love just sad things horror. that really kind of come at you and confront you and are here to fuck with you and change you um yes Sam. i i don't have a lot of like I, I guess i do have comfort food in horror but it's but when i'm watching new horror it's not what i'm looking for okay yeah yeah and i i think it's I think an interesting thing, because we, we've talked on this cast, obviously, it's, it's a fundamental sort of part of the, the experience of Ott's horror, is that split down the middle between the pre-9-11 and post-9-11 horror that defines the sort of millennium aspect as we categorize yes. it, beginning with Scream and going through into sort of like the the exhaust fumes post-2010 of a couple of choice films that we really love. And, but, Shout out to the roommate. You know, when ultraviolence hit the shores of the United States in the form of like the Saw franchise and the Hostel movies that would come after in the Collector franchise, it had already been happening abroad. Like that is, it is an interesting thing to me 
why like American remakes of like French brutal films just don't really work because for all of the brutish American stereotypes comparatively to world cinema our horror is quite chaste Mm. and there's something about like doing American torture horror on the level of what a French film for example might execute where we just like we just don't quite get it there's something about like our puritanical sort of domestic sensibility that when it gets shoved to that point of extreme, it sort of passes the point of artistic for me pretty much for the most part when, when Americans do it and just becomes sort of garish and like, well, why the fuck did you do this? What was the point of it? There's a, there's something about sort of like, I was watching a, a I didn't want to watch this like series of movies once with a, a one of my best friends, the, the red, white and blue trilogy out of France. And, and because I was like, mm. I don't really, I don't want to be sad, Marin. Like, I don't, I don't feel like being sad right now. And she goes, Jordan, it's not sad. It's French sad. And I was like, (laughs) suddenly I got it. I was like, oh, you're right. It's not sad. It's French sad. And so like these movies are, these movies are brutal, but they're French brutal. And there's something about that. There's kind of a relief. There's something about the artistry and the execution, even in movies that I don't like, where there's, I can at least sort of like detach it, put it from a distance to me to analyze it as like a work of narrative, a work of art, instead of like feeling like an attack. Um, And and, like something was like uh, garish or offensive. So I, I, it's, it's interesting that as these twin movements of ultraviolence are happening, um, well, multiple pronged, like it's happening in Southeast Asia, it's happening in France, it's happening in the United States. Um, it's interesting seeing how it comes, it, it, just seeing how it bubbles up and sort of, one of my favorite things about horror, I'm kind of rambling now, but one of my favorite things about horror is, is as like an empathy window, an understanding window where you can mm-hmm. look at titles from around the world and see what most scares the culture that those movies are born out of. And so to watch something in its most extreme boundary pushing form, you're seeing sort of appear into the national consciousness of the, that these movies are coming out of what upsets you most, what fucking destroys you and haunts you most. And in the most graphic boundary pushing way that, that we can assemble. Like, I, oh, sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. Go ahead. I, I, this is a stray thought from what you were talking about, but I have, I've, I've long had some thoughts about how American filmmakers internalize their influences versus some foreign filmmakers and, and the sort of cultural respect that film gets mm-hmm. in particular aspects of the world, you know, France specifically, right? Like, um, when you're in France, you see a movie theater blocks away from each other there's there's a there's a cultural understanding and love of film that i don't think is necessarily here Mm -hmm. even though hollywood is such uh an institution in itself Mm -hmm. that i think in many ways when filmmakers are influenced by sort of blunt force american horror of the 70s and 80s Mm -hmm. it comes around in a way that isn't finessed in a in a filmmaking Hmm. way mm-hmm. whereas i i think you know inside in a lot of ways is a better film than a lot of other films yeah. that are influenced by Agreed. straight up american horror yeah. i think that happens i mean this is a, a broad generalization mm-hmm. but i think that does happen with foreign directors i mean look at a movie like cub from belgium yeah it's one of the best made slashers clearly influenced by slashers mm-hmm. but it's a better film. Mm-hmm. It's 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 better to watch, and I think that is that that's what happens when you watch Insider, them, or uh, Kidnapped, or uh, you know High Tension. Even I mean High Tension has a lot of problems, but it's a mm-hmm. film is gripping to watch, mm-hmm. and I think because it's pulling from a lot of similar influences that early and mid two thousands like horror fan filmmakers were pulling from, mm-hmm. but just knew how to build a film structurally, knew how to build a film visually much better. I have. 
uh, mm. please. I I imagine here is where I talked about high tension a little bit more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 So, um, high tension is mm-hmm. it's it, the problem with it is it's a great film. It's scary as fuck. I am on the edge of my seat. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. But the but the ending where it's revealed that the killer who um our lesbian final girl has been going yeah. after the whole time is actually her but having like this crazy kind of meltdown it's a problem right because on one hand and this is very indicative of the Mm -hmm. odds um on one hand it's like yes we have a lesbian protagonist we have a queer final girl we are ahead of the time Mm -hmm. um on the other hand it's kind of like a total fail um it's that it's that mixed messaging which is like yes you exist Mm -hmm. yes you're in the awareness but no you don't matter and we're not going to give you representation that does um, a lot of our language in the aughts around homophobic, a lot of our homophobic language is is really centered around the idea that we've already moved past it. Um, and instead of, mm-hmm. you know, actually doing the healing necessary uh, to recognize marginalization, the marginalization of queer people um, and, partic- and their role in horror cinema at this mm-hmm. time. Um, I hope that I've launched into something else by now because, you guys, this is not a high-tension podcast, but I did have to share that with you. Um, also, wow, I mean, wow, this is a big gap. Friends, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm i probably talking about La Femme, yeah. I, I think, uh, so, okay, she comes to the window, and this is, like, a haunting bitch. She is, like, she is scary. She's serving looks, and she's got, like, she's, like, head-to-toe draped in black. Okay, so, like, when you see her face, and by the way, this goes in with the homophobia of high tension, her face is, like, very, is she a man? Is mm-hmm. she a woman? There's, like, some kind of, like, uh, she's, uh, what's the word? Androgynous. She's androgynous. And I think it's playing with that, too, mm-hmm. because during this time, it's, like, yeah. queerness is kind of a killer, right? And I'm not saying this movie's homophobic. I'm not saying anything like that. But just when you look at the presentation of Lafem, who, to me, is a drag queen, um, she is. She's an over-the-top extrapo- mm-hmm. extrapolation of feminine quality- qualities pasted onto a masculine-presenting person. And it's uh, it's interesting to see the ways that she plays out as a villain. Now, we've seen this in time, like time after time uh, with villains in horror. Even when you think about something like 2006's Black Christmas, which casts a man who was mm-hmm. like just there to do, I think, like the visual, like he was one of the visual effects guys. They cast him as Agnes, who was a female. And they do it because it's like playing on homophobia or actually transphobia. Mm-hmm. And being afraid of, of of trans bodies. And so, uh, and anything that deviates from the norm. And when we're talking about the odds, the norm is always so important. It's, it, we have to, we have to set the barometer for what the expectation is so that when you deviate from it, we know it's the bad guy. We know that it's shocking and scary. And even in France, which is in a completely different political and cultural place than the U.S., it's mm-hmm. still something that can be effective um, and can and can play with the expectations of the audience and play on their fears, quite frankly. Um, I hope that was something close to what I said. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, then I, 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 I want to... Sorry, Sam Zimmerman, continue. No, I, I think there is an interesting... I, I agree. And I, oh, I think there's I mean, something about you, Inside to me that stands out in these conversations. And there's something about Bustillo and Mori that stand out specifically because... I, I don't know a ton about them. I, I've tried to read as much as I can. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen, at, to this point, all their movies. They have another French language movie that's coming out next year that is terrific, that I really like. Um, but the 
understanding I have of them is that they have a younger streetwear kid quality. I, I, I don't know either of their backgrounds, but I think they're a little bit different than maybe like the classic sort of like upper crust cultural white person mm. in France making films that are technically scared of this. Cause I think rewatching there's there's something going on in inside with the riots surrounding this yes. that isn't afraid of them, isn't mm. afraid of the riots, isn't afraid of yes. anyone moving into this neighborhood. It's, and, it, and a bunch of people, however, quickly use it as cover, right? The cops mm -hmm. use it as cover. Her boss uses it as cover. Mm -hmm. uh, La Femme uses it as cover. And I think they, and Z Frontiers a little bit too, because Xavier Gens was very political in what he was doing in Frontiers mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was not fearing the other with respect to immigrants moving into France. Um, and I think that's part of what why Inside stands out to me so much is I don't necessarily think it's they fear they're being invaded by people moving into this country i know what i said before and i'm just going to say we're talking about fear of the other especially in the aughts because when we think about the u.s it's like it's really think, absolutely yeah yes. it's really obvious right um our fear of the other is everywhere where it is different in looking at what's happening socially and politically in france um but that said the suburbs which in the u.s we might interpret the suburbs as like white bread safe uh middle class the suburbs of france they are not that um and they're perceived yeah. by the middle class or by the upper class as being dangerous and and you know it's because it's a place where marginalized people live and um mm -hmm. and they're harassed by police yeah and it and it's a real problem um and i think that this movie looks at square in the eye and says yeah uh it says baby pov yes really. expand on that sam the final in a revolutionary act the final girl yeah. is a baby okay so listen i totally nailed that um it's a baby right and i it's crazy <laughs> that the person the the yeah the final girl in this movie is absolutely a baby <laughs> um you you just see her she's in there it's like it's total baby it's, POV. It's an which... incredible way of reminding you that, like, because because of course, like when you see like any violence perpetrated on a pregnant woman or pregnant body, there's something immediately visceral about that. Mm -hmm. yes. But then giving us that baby cam, you're like, oh god, yeah, there's it, a little baby in there. It, <laughs> it is a reminder yeah. that, yep, we got a baby. It's a CGI baby. Don't you forget? Is it. it super effective? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't look very real, but I love it. Um, there's this movie called The Guardian um, that has an actual like camera out from the inside of the baby crib, and I'm obsessed with it. So that was like the first time I really clocked baby POV. Um, so being inside the womb for so much of this movie, just randomly, um, that really works for me as as somebody as a connoisseur of baby POV. Um, I really think this is a French take on baby POV. Um, you know, because you're like up in the womb with the baby. Um, it, it feels like it feels very cinematic. <laughs> Uh, in its delivery, and it feels like it has a purpose. Um, I, I hope that I'm still talking about baby POV here because honestly, it really is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, while this is a seriously good film, I mean, if there's one thing Lafemme is trying to not do, it's kill the baby. Yeah, so. or and, and which is why we yeah. are spending so much of the time in that baby's perspective. Lafemme <laughs> knows that the children are our future. And, you know, before us was serving us gold scissors, yeah, inside she is, was serving us a very important pair of gigantic shears because you know it's yes i feel yes. like Chekhov's shears. Chekhov's shears and they really get you they really get put to work right oh, like Chekhov's golden scissors and inside where you know for anyone listening who hasn't seen it um maybe one of the first things that freaks you out to to an insane degree is seeing the scissors graze the pregnant belly and then puncture the belly button which i know like even i've seen this movie like many times even just describing it 
But then those scissors, they don't fucking stop there. No. It's kind of incredible that they're like, wait, we've got even more to do. And they go through a hand and they go through a head and they yep. just like the, the scissors. Are, These are the traveling are scissors. They're just the they're going to fit inside. into any situation. I, it's it's interesting, like, because I, I think one of the reasons I think one of the reasons that this movie triumphs um, in a unique way to me to, to new French extremity films, which are, are not are not so much my bag. Like I, I respect them and I, I, I take them in as like a vital cultural piece of, of this great cinema puzzle. But f- this one to me, I enjoy in a way that like, I feel wrapped in it more where when I'm watching it, I'm compelled by the beats to keep moving through the story instead of just being like, we're watching this movie because we watch movies, which mm-hmm. is how I can kind of feel about mm-hmm. um, a lot of these. And it, it is because a lot of the it, it is very gross and it's very like gory, but it's it's beautiful gore. But the way that it takes because the, the whole point of these movies was kind of like pushing to the ultimate taboos yeah. and the idea of the violation, the physical violation of a pregnant woman, as you said, like brutalizing a pregnant body is like one of probably got to be top three ultimate taboos in this world. Oh, most definitely. And absolutely. I mean, keep going, Sam. Yeah, I mean, I, is incest in here? Uh, I mean, Act Three. I can't. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, it's since the last time we recorded this. Um, right, right, right. And right. and and the, the, another thing that new French extremity movies do is definitely kill animals. And mm-hmm. so, Show you know, no mercy. the use of the, I it, it made me think of you know watching it recent watching it again and like thinking back. It made me remember how shocked I was at the movie Taking Lives mm. from 2004, which is like a, movie, a, a great I I like, thriller with Angelina Jolie. I think it's an underappreciated part of her, from, part of her filmography. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's that scene where at the... Sorry, guys. It was 2004. If you haven't watched already, fuck it. Um, they had time. There's the scene where... I knew it. <laughs> I mean... Yes, yeah, people on the Angelina internet, Jolie Twitter thriller. film people are not going to get mad at people for spoiling something from 2004. Fan, fanboys surely get wouldn't get it, so upset fanboys. at something like that. It's 2021, um, you, know you had time. You wouldn't get mad every dad who watched Taking Lives on TNT over and over and over again. <laughs> over again. A TNT special. <laughs> My TNT special was The General's Daughter. People tell me, they're like, I love bad movies. I'm like, I'm um, sorry, do you love The General's Daughter? Have you watched it every time it's ever come on TV? <laughs> I was explaining to uh, my wife, Lindy, the other day about how when I was a kid, the gen- the trailer for The General's Daughter was on like every VHS. Oh my God, yes. So I know that trailer by heart, like more than the movie. And I made her watch the trailer and I was like quoting along, especially to the part when uh, when he goes to John Travolta, he's like, you better start worrying about your career. And then John Travolta gets really close and he goes, you better start worrying about yours. <laughs> <laughs> you better start thinking about your career. You better start thinking about yours. You better start thinking about your career. And you better start thinking about yours. The General's Daughter. (laughs) It's my favorite thing. (laughs) Back to Taking Lives. Back to Taking Lives. But like, you know, that movie is like, it's it's scary. It's suspenseful. It's an intense movie. But it suddenly jumps on to an entirely different train track in its closing minutes when Angelina Jolie has enticed the killer who has gotten away to find her so they can trap him in this great, like, law enforcement sting. She's been living, like, as a as a single woman pregnant carrying a baby to term who is the baby of her rapist the murderer. Like, this is... Oh, I see the case. I mean, it was a consensual affair, but he was a murderer and there was right, a lot of lying going right. on, so that's pretty gray. But... The, she gets like apprehended by him. The the trap works. The guy shows up. He grips her from behind, and he, you, it's it's not even in your frame of reference for a movie like this that could happen. He holds up a giant pair of scissors and he stabs her 
through her probably eight, nine month pregnant belly. Jesus Christ. And I don't know why we don't talk about that spot, that scene more, because it's not something we see much here in the States. That's not really even something we don't really go there. We no. don't really do that. And the way this movie makes an entire premise out of cutting a baby out of somebody's mm-hmm. stomach. And like Sam said, you get the P you get baby POV I did in say utero that. in this movie. Yes, like baby you're not POV. even dealing with the abstraction of like, no. oh fuck, there's a baby in there. Like it makes the baby a character. The baby so reacts. You are like aware of this infant's interior life. As you are aware that there is a woman trying to cut the baby using scissors out of mom's body. Yes amidst all the carnage of everything else that is happening too. And yet somehow you know, no matter who gets stabbed in the neck and they're bleeding out in the bathroom, you watch this Mm -hmm. woman who's already grieving as a widow, you watch her fucking mom get killed. Like, it just can't get any worse, but you are, you have the threat hanging over you, and I think that's what this movie does so well, you have the threat hanging over you constantly of you know exactly, specifically, how much worse this could get the entire time, and you're just praying to fucking God that it does not not you are just hoping that it doesn't happen so i have a thought about what you're maybe what you're getting at or or what is kind of within what you were i'm all over the place in this conversation so i hope that led you somewhere you you were mentioning how you don't you don't necessarily love new french extremity um maybe you don't respond to them but you appreciate what they're doing yeah one of the reasons i think inside stands out and one of the reasons i think it is um either a child of the new french extremity or just off of it Mm -hmm. is that this movie i think a lot of those movies that were in the sort of wave that was named the new French extremity are physically brutal yes but they're intellectually brutal yeah and what they're doing are intellectualized exercises or philosophical exercises yeah. and guys that's why I talked about this high is a tension, very by the emotional way. movie and pulls you in yeah. with dread and with fear and with with care I mean the the early early on and inside there's a scene where the the main character Sarah walks home after her doctor's appointment she's just like I need to be alone you know she's still grieving her husband mm-hmm. uh you the, or the father of a child you know that she is sort of rejecting a lot of the care and support that is trying to be given to her because she's so deeply depressed and so yeah. upset and questioning whether she even wants to be a mother. And in that moment, I, this has been the first time in this, where I, 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 I almost cried. I felt so much for her in this moment mm-hmm. that, and I don't think we have a lot of that in these like yeah. characteristically brutal French horror of this age. Um, and, and I think that speaks a lot to the atmosphere of the movie. And that also relates to some of what they do with La Femme, because this is a movie that is also brutal, but it's scary. Yeah. And I think a lot of those other movies, yes. they're scary either. They're brutal. Yeah. They're, they're stock and slash or they're home invasion or like there's a lot of physical trauma happening. Mm-hmm. But they, this movie takes a little bit of time, even though it's like under 90 minutes, to be spooky mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and to like threaten you a little bit and i I think that really amps it up a lot it's legitimately scary no it is a terrifying movie but i mean really nothing is more terrifying than i guess wanting a baby that bad (laughs) that is hetero horror i mean this woman she wants a baby so bad she's gonna go cut it out of another woman and i get it they were in an accident everybody loves revenge and i guess you know in the accident the 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 husband her dead Mm -hmm. husband you know, uh, caused the mm-hmm. accident. Oh God, um, yes. the accident happens. She loses the baby. Mm-hmm. Lafemme loses the baby. Now she's after her baby. But yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a whole point. thing. Yeah. But, no. oh, thank you. No. no. No, yes. Yes. They're barely even involving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, 
Wow. So, anyways, back to how fucking bonkers that is to want a baby. Um, that is that is like the whole motivation behind this. But what's really really crazy is the way she kills her own mom. And I love that. Yeah. I right. I mean, her mom just like walks right up the stairs, and Sarah thinks it's La Femme, and bam, her mom is gone. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's very sad. It's mm-hmm. deeply sad, actually. Um, I shouldn't, but I love mm-hmm. it. That yeah. That until yeah. That until minutes ago, like basically minutes ago, she right. was like is this just going to be a, a haunting reminder my entire life of the pain that I feel of yep. having lost my, like, or am I going to kill my mom? I, I, the, I, right. the invocation of saw, I like there too, because they're after the first, like the first saw is wow. the only saw that was, that it tried to be scary. And the scariest moments in saw one are the parking garage. Mm-hmm. And when the guy mm-hmm. is walking through, I think it might even Lee one L the guy is walking through his apartment with the camera tr- using the flash to try and find mm-hmm. who's in there, which I don't care how much that device gets used. It will fucking it's terrify it's me. So ever. I rewatched Host with friends recently. Uh, and that part with the Polaroid camera, I was like, I was like actively rooting against the girl with the flash at that point. Cause I was like, fuck you, fuck you for doing this to me. Like it gets me every time. It's a but good those gag. Are the scariest parts yes. of the movie where obviously by comparison to like Saw 8, the devices are almost kind of adorable. But like the scary, like the reverse bear trap is not a scary part of that movie. It's a blood pumping part of that movie. It's a get you worked up part of that movie. It's not a scary part of that movie. But like Mm -hmm. when you see just like the outline of La Femme in the window outside. Terrifying. You are like, that's it. I'm going to see this woman in my window. I don't care if I live on the 80th floor of a building. I'm going to look at my window and she's going to be fucking there. Like it is. I hate that. It is. This movie does so well with haunting imagery that is totally apart from the bloodbath that's going to ensue. Yes. Yes. And the moment of her behind the couch is that shot was even better than I remembered because I had not seen this in a few years. And so in my memory, it was just sort of like she's on the couch and La Femme is behind her in the shadows and you get this great eerie thing where your eyes have to adjust and you understand she's there and that's creepy. So scary. Watching it now, I completely forgot that they're doing this great trick of slowly zooming in on Sarah and you think you're staring into the shadows mm-hmm. and you understand that it's La Femme's dress right behind her. Horrific. And that is the darkness. That's the inky blackness. <laughs> Absolutely And when horrific. La Femme goes, well, when La Femme steps back, she almost moves like a Mario Bava ghost. Like it's this very delicate, mm. like almost supernatural quality. Mm-hmm. And she sort of comes back into the shadows and that's when you see her face all the way back in the shadows. And I was like, Shantae, you say, La Femme. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I completely forgot how good that shot was. It, so it good. Really one of the all-timers to me. And I love movement like that in in horror, especially whether it's ghosts or whether it's a person. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in Twilight when they're sort of going through the woods like that mm-hmm. uh, on the, <laughs> the moving sidewalk. Um, but I just, that Kiyoshi Kurosawa-esque slow move is deeply, deeply eerie to me. And uh, I that shot, man. I think you know what else is eerie, mm-hmm. um, baby POV. I yeah. cannot I mean, emphasize we, we, this really. Enough. We should we should pivot into in. the La Femme at like specific okay, yeah, La sure. Femme no, part no, no. of this conversation. No, we and should Beatrice yeah. Delay. get into her. Oh God, the way she just smokes that cigarette at a hospital like it's not a fucking hospital. My <laughs> God, she she walks into a room and it's hers. She sucks all the air out of it um, because do you even need it anymore? No, it's La Femme's. I, I mean, look, I love a villain. I'm a queer person. I see myself in every villain because so does society. And when they when it comes to us, I mean, the category. Right. The category is uh, La Femme. 
And I, I just feel like when, when it comes to her and, and, and what she embodies, I know we're not supposed to root for her. We're not, right? Because it's like super gross. And the things that, the crimes that she commits are atrocious and horrific. And we don't want them to happen. But there is a tiny part of us, right, that sees La Femme and we're like, work. Because like also, let's be yes, real. Yes, a yes and yeah. movie. Sarah is kind of a dud. Okay. I mean, she's angry about having this baby. She and like, look, yes, she's grieving, but she does kind of get everybody killed. I mean, <laughs> right? There are all of these people who would be alive if if Sarah had just like, I don't know, just give her the mm-hmm. fucking baby. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't want it anyways. You look around her house, there's like pots and pans built up. The whole place is a mess. She's not taking care of herself. How the fuck is Sarah going to be a mom? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, she's not. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, in a way, which is like so sick and twisted, I know, but La Femme... I, she's I, a do little bit of a hero. There's also like a, a big extra quality to the the nurse at the beginning who comes and sits next to her and is just like, "Oh, it was the nurse that did that. I thought it was Lafemme." And then he's born dead, like thirteen hours. <laughs> and the way she leans okay. over and she's like, "Fuck." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. That's great. I love that. I thought I. Yeah. love a woman in charge and then she loves it too like she gets called a twat and she's just like mm. she's into it <laughs> like she luxuriates in it call me a twat because it's also totally. she is that is i i think an, an important distinction for like working in the specific realm of french cinema here it's not an industry without flaw it's certainly like you know the way of watching like the homophobia or the otherization of things in in, in a french film around this time right like, you know when when portrait of a lady on fire came out and it was nominated the Caesars for awards. Um, you know, the, the the star of that movie, Adele Hanel, was very vocal about the sexual assault that she'd experienced at the hands of, like, a director she had been sort of, like, very creatively partnered with in her teenage years. And she was not viewed as a national hero for coming out with this news. She mm-hmm. was not viewed as, like, a woman leading the French Me Too movement charge for, like, standing up and shouting pedophile at Roman Polanski. It's not- at the Cesar Awards. Like, this was not a woman who became the, the tip of a spear. It was a hotly debated topic. Like, w- whether or not she was, you know, to be lauded. And a lot of, like, older French actresses, like, have, you know, when you sort of hear about, like, how do you feel about having made a Woody Allen movie kind of situation? Like, there's not, like, a consensus among, like, the Bridget Bardot set for, like, oh, well, yeah, it, it's very much a separate the art from the artist, and, like, that has nothing to do with the, the art that they make. It's a different conversation around, like, equality and um, inclusiveness. Right. That it, it's, it's just moving at a different space. It's moving at a different speed, obviously in different places from where we are, because it's not the same place as us. But a thing that I really appreciate aesthetically about French cinema is, and you see this in fashion, too, there is, within parameters, like, she's still, like, a thin white woman. With uh, Beatrice Dallet, you have a woman who is not, by what we would consider an American editorial standards, like, the the face. Like, the person you put forward. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, you look at a model, like, Vanessa Paradis. You look at Beatrice Dallet. Oh, and you Christmas look at album, these the faces way. that have, like, these distinguishing factors about them. That mouth, the teeth, the eyes. There is a level of theatricality about their features and the bigness of them. And there is a way of making these, putting these these beautiful women in the position of being monsters, but not making them monstrous as grotesque. Like I think we would 
kind of see in like a hag exploitation set of of, of right. American films. Yeah, it's taking these things, it's taking these these women who who don't necessarily look like the neat and tidy flawless packages. It mm. sees beauty in it sees beauty in imperfection or idiosyncrasy and vaunts it to the level of high artistry, which is, I think something that is, you know, you see too, in like the, the catwalks and the runways, and the high fashion houses, there is not necessarily to be in line with the cookie cutter established sort of vanilla way of looking beautiful is not necessarily desirable. Look at the cover of French Vogue versus American Vogue. There is a daringness to it. There's an imagination to beauty and an imagination mm. to aesthetic appeal that I think a movie like this where you can make something, like what you were saying earlier, Sam, with movies that draw inspiration from American exploitation films. And, I was and saying that earlier. Movies from like the 1970s. Right. And then kind of take it to a new level of filmmaking craft and take the grotesque and make art God, out of the grotesque. So and not make it seem there's... like something that is a, a monster to be kept in a closet. And I think movies, this movie in particular, movies like this, um, they see beauty in blood. Yeah. In, a, in an interesting way, like like I almost felt weird making this note, but I was, but I was like, I was like, Alice Paradis is like very pretty, covered in blood, and mm-hmm. it's very strange to think that. But I like, mean, she and that is absolutely happens, yeah. in, that's Incredible. absolutely part of Trouble Every Day. That is absolutely part mm-hmm. of Trouble Every Day. The aesthetic and the absolutely. artistry of the incorporation of blood in that Same scene where tension. you have yet, I mean, an, an all timer in genre, basically like the, the French Bonnie Aaron's, I don't know, like Beatrice Dallet in trouble every day where you have that scene of her. She's just fucking eaten a man while she's fucking him. And then there's that shot of her kind of wide where she's walking in front of a wall. She has smeared almost graffitied with her blood and she's in a negligee mm-hmm. covered in viscera. And it is a stunning shot. <laughs> just, Sorry, I'm just like luxuriating just in that. Just luxuriating like, like, in, in it. The, the tenebrae moment in Inside when uh, her mother is stabbed through the neck with the, the pin and she's kind of walking down the bathroom wall. Um, Sam, you mentioned something about um, La Femme sort of being deaf. Oh, and wow. There's something that kind of... She is. I watched another movie this week in sort of proximity to this and mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have thought about this otherwise, but I watched Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Oh, like yeah, ago. that... That one. It's one, of, one of my favorite movies. Um, and one of the things that I love about the movie is early in the film, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it is, uh, it's about a woman named Jessica who is uh, mentally fragile. Her, her husband and her husband's friend are moving up to the country from New York. They bought a new house. Of course, bad things are going to happen mm-hmm. in that house. But the movie very much starts with them on their journey already. And they drive a hearse, which is very <laughs> funny to begin with. Um, they stop in a cemetery where she does some art and then they take a ferry. And so there feels like there's this element of let's scare Jessica to death right in the beginning. That's like, oh, they're already dead. Death has surrounded them. Death is inviting them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're never going back across this ferry. Mm-hmm. They have made their journey. And there's there's an interesting, a similar quality to the beginnings of Inside that I noticed, which is wow, yeah, Sarah has rejected life in mm-hmm. in many yes. ways, and it's uh, the, Sam. The that is brilliant. Care the questions of whether she wants to be a mother. You know the ch- babies themselves are life Burdens. you know maybe oh, the, the ultimate yes, symbol life. of life and uh she calls her mother by her first name it's there's a remove from there oh yeah that's um right. her dream sequence with when her husband sort of wraps his arms around her is, is violently interrupted by a flashback of his death mm-hmm. and then i think it's so interesting that of all the death in this movie that la femme causes she does not kill sarah's mother sarah kills her own mother and it's an accident oh. but i think there's still something so interesting and powerful there 
and the kind of ultimate rejection of like the journey, the ultimate direction of life and the journey Sarah is on. I think you kind of know in that moment that you know where this movie is headed based on that to me. Mm -hmm. And La Femme sort of embodies this idea of, to me, like goth midwife, but, you know, death itself in that long black, you know, doula, death doula, goth doula, um, Grim Reaper, all of that. And I, I kind of love that about this movie. There there does seem to be this supernatural aura over these elements. Yeah, uh, death literally knocking at the door. Talk about a bad day. Talk about a bad day. I mean, Sarah has... <laughs> listen, we all get stressed out on Christmas Eve. I get it. I'm done. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, you mm-hmm. have to buy things. You have to cook things. And you're probably yeah. with your family. You don't want to be. Um, so Sarah's having a typical Christmas Eve, um, but it's a little atypical because the Grim Reaver shows up. It love is that. a good analogy for who she is. I totally agree. I love that I said the that. The little bubble. Uh-huh. The little, like, tracheotomy Oh, bubble. God, the tracheotomy. There Horrific. Are few, there are a few movies that have more successfully to me and and, and this is and this is i think it's a a, a goal of most horror movies to do so but i I think this one really acutely accomplishes the uh removal of hope like the ability that this movie has to sustainably continue rejecting hope Mm -hmm. the entire time is you, you, at a certain point, you kind of feel like you should be desensitized. So you're like, oh, well, of course this is happening now. Because why wouldn't it happen on this very bad day she's having? And yet, each subsequent compounding aspect of hopelessness does manage to outdo the last one. To the point, like, when she... Because it, it, it's amazing how it gives you those, those, those little bits to, like, hold on to. Where you're like, oh, this is the part in another movie where it at least signals that we're on the way to something being okay. Like, when, uh, like, mm-hmm. authorities show up. You're like, oh, well, people are here to help. So, like, obviously, she's not just going to be alone in this. And it manages to destroy that belief you have every time. And like then that. she, not only does her mother, it, it can't even just be that her mother dies. Because that wouldn't be an appropriate leveling up in a movie like right. Inside. She has to, on accident kill her just own mother absolutely crush any hope and then by it. then you're like and yet you still have we were discussing earlier you still have the thing hanging over your head knowing that it can always get worse because the end game is cutting a baby out of cutting a, living a baby woman. out of her womb because of Chekhov's scissors. because of Chekhov's scissors you can't introduce scissors in act one without them going <laughs> yeah. off in act two right a, a rule to live by yes yeah. yes <laughs> Uh, it's just what's amazing about the way that this movie crushes hope is I don't normally love that in a film, but in this movie, because it's almost like the way that final destination sets things up. You enter a room, you see all the traps and you know that something's going to happen, but you're not exactly sure how. And it's kind of magical the way (laughs) it all gets pulled off. Wow. This is dark subject matter for you to be laughing at Jordan. I am kind of appalled at the uh, cavalier nature in which you're approaching this. That's what, and that's what foreign cinema, that's what foreign cinema teaches us. That's true. That Alexander wow. Smug oh my is God, not that's cold. so true. Because we are American audiences conditioned to expect Alexander's hug, Chekhov's, Chekhov's yeah. scissors and Alexander's hug. We absolutely think she's going to make it out of this. And foreign cinema is like, fuck your fragility. Mm-hmm. Did you think we she was going to do it? We are going to show you what no, this life baby. is really about. Yes. Life is hard, miserable, and so is Christmas. Mm. Yeah. It's 2007, the year of insomniatic. Oh, I, and I. Oh, God, Allie and AJ. I, I brought Allie and AJ into this, <laughs> guys. Two thousand seven. Listen, Insomniatic. I Allie and AJ in the two thousands. Yeah. So much darker than you expect. 
it's like the lyrics are actually uh-huh. it's like on the surface it's kind of light and camp but when you think about the it's like they're walking on broken glass they're they're really it's like there's there there is a violence to the 2000s that permeates even kid music yeah no I, there she is yeah she's right there I wonder I now that I'm now that we're having this we we're, we've come to this point in this conversation I have a question for both of you and see if you have any thoughts you may or may not I don't know but like when we were talking earlier about sort of like French um, cinema identity and the sort of national <laughs> culture around around the cinema oh yeah freedom prize America is is somewhat unique I understand in it's very it's capitalism and private industry based film industry like I yes. remember talking to we don't have like a cultural fund or... yeah there yeah there's right. not like it's not like state sanctioned cinema like i remember speaking to mm-hmm. um a handful of australian directors a couple years back when like the hounds of love and berlin syndrome were coming out and just this incredible slate of horror from australian filmmakers yes. which south korea and australia are my favorite global traditions of horror cinema genre cinema i love them those are good picks, and they were Jordan. talking about how um yeah the babadook is was such a uh, hit and babadook, i think yes. they were like you know i think american filmmakers think that like it was a uh, american audiences think it was a big hit in, in the babadook in in australia it wasn't people didn't like australians don't really love going to see horror movies like the consensus i got from That's each crazy, one of them is though. that it is an uphill battle as a as somebody who's making a horror film in australia to get people to care and then they have these international successes on their hands and Very I was, similar in France. And I was talking to them about, like, getting projects made. Like, okay, well, if you have this uphill battle, like, what's it like pitching these movies and getting it made? And they're like, well, you know, working through, the, working through, like, the Australian Film Fund, like, you have to really pitch to them, like, this is why there is cultural merit to the thing that I am doing. This is the value add of this film I am making. And this is why it's worth your time and money to put money from, put dollars from the fund into this project. It becomes a, like... You know, when you're working on that kind of operation, it's like grant funding. Like, how are you going to take mm-hmm. this grant and do good with it? How are you going to take this grant and and c- contribute something to the wider conversation instead of just a, a, you know, a bottom line business dollars and cents kind of equation? So it's, I wonder how that, I, 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 I've wondered this for a long time. And if either of you had thoughts on how, like, that affects the sort of national identity of cinema culture. Like, to have, uh, and, and you see, like, um, um, uh, Thierry Henry, the like the head, like the captain of Cannes Film Festival, having a lot of fucking opinions about Netflix movies and what's allowed to play there and what's not, and the the theatrical run minimum that you have to have for a film before it's allowed to like be available on video on like on digital video distribution mm-hmm. platforms, and there being this kind of like. It, it can feel like a gatekeepery conversation around how cinema is supposed to work because there's this very sort of old school way of like, this is the tradition of film and this is the way you honor film and this is the way you treat cinema and the way you asshole like tech startup Americans just throw everything on the fucking internet is blasphemy. Well, when you have a state backed approach to creating your national cinema, I think that makes its success and its identity sort of like a part of your artistic represent, represent uh, artistic reputation as a culture. So it, it, I don't know if any of you have thoughts on like that affecting output or style of work or. Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm a big sort of uh, as above, so below person, like there's great and bad and kind of everything. And especially when it comes to, I haven't even the you movie. know, <laughs> cultural funds and international funds yeah. and government funds and film. And yes, I think there's, there's absolutely that, disadvantage to it where you have to fight to make sure things are like of cultural merit and i think internationally it depends on the country yeah yeah for sure see a lot of value in genre cinema and Mm -hmm. the export and the and others don't i think maybe the advantage of it being like that in france is that 
you know, there's just long been a respect for the art form of film and, mm -hmm. and, you know, that can lead to a certain pretension and certainly lead to a certain gatekeeping. But I also appreciate that on, on maybe also a populist level, right. going to the movies is respected and recognized and yeah. appreciated. And of course it can lead to also crappy things like, you know, just putting down Netflix movies or abnormally long windows in yeah. France of like, like months you can't stream something. Yeah, no, 36 months, like three years. Oh, yikes. If your film is theatrical, Are you it is a window serious? of that before it hits streaming. Um, but I don't Ugh. know how much of Inside, and I don't know how much a lot of these movies were actually nationally funded. Okay, because yeah. my understanding... I was just wondering that about, like, Raw. ...is that there, France has this interesting history, at least as I see it, of a, a great tradition of horror in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, from the Grand Guignol to Eyes Without a Face and these great, great right. shocking moments, but also on a general day, view, Sam. rejecting it, especially in the audience level. Mm -hmm. You know, these movies inside and things really were not hits everything. in France and didn't go see it. And that's right. why you saw this wave sort of peter out. And it's also why I like to throw a distinction on it when it comes to the new French extremity, because I think some of those movies were made by what people are seeing people see as art filmmakers. Yeah. Uh, Claire Denis is an art filmmaker. Bruno Dumont's an art filmmaker. Uh, Gaspar Noé is an art filmmaker. For Francois sure. Yeah. is an art filmmaker. So their movies, they go to different places. The Venice is in the Cannes. Yeah. And they, they are released by different people. The Sony Pictures Classics and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Then you saw this wave of, you know, the insides, the frontiers, the high tensions, the martyrs, uh, Calvert and Malefique. Um, then you saw them peter out. Like, the next movies from these filmmakers were all wildly disparate things because they were then not nationally supported. Yeah. Those movies were viewed as failures. Alexander Aja just like fucking got on his rocket he's, ship. He's the one who lucked out. He was the one who was like, I know how I'm going to go make it. Yeah. I'm going to go here. And he's very interesting too, because Baxter edited this and Baxter is kind of the editor of a lot of these movies. Mm. And then he came and edited Hills Have Eyes, and he edited Aja's Piranhas. Fascinating. And he edited, so I think he's an interesting figure, and I would love to read like a longer piece of him about his role in shaping how we see these movies as an editor and mm -hmm. as kind of the one editor that seemed to like love horror and right. make all these movies. Um, but it's a bummer because they all kind of separated in big ways. You know, mm -hmm. Bustillo and Mori haven't had a big exposure after Inside. Livid mm -hmm. famously is unreleased. Um, Pascal, Shutter, Lug Pascal Lugier doing Martyrs made Martyrs again, but worse with Incident in a Ghost yeah. Land. Like fucking and then ten his, years like, Jessica later. Biel, his weird Jessica Biel thriller, The Tall Man. That just you're just. God, I love a weird Jessica mm -hmm. Biel um, thriller, though, right? And I mean, with with Lucio Mori Among the Living, uh, we released it on Shutter, but that was two years after it premiered. You yeah, know, we knew it was kind of floating out there and gave it a release. Um, and then they finally, and then Leatherface, which was not a good experience. I was going to say, and then Leatherface, um, yeah. So it, it's it, a lot of these filmmakers I feel like have been sort of left in the lurch in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and I don't know if I answered Sam, your question you, here. Oh, you look like you were going to jump was. in. No, no, no. Yeah, I was going to try and answer your question. I mean, I guess to me, I have no idea what I said. But what I will say is that in film school, I made a film called Furbots. And I cannot imagine going in front of a board of people and trying to tell them to fund a movie about killer Furbots in the year 2000 mm -hmm. trying to take over the world. First. Um. It, this system does produce great things. We know that there is beautiful work coming out of these places. But at the same mm -hmm. time, I love Furbots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm going to want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Sure. I'm going to want some schlock film. I love me some trash. It doesn't all have to be curated, but I do appreciate the yeah. stuff that is. For me, there's just no in between. I wish that there was like a board of people who would like 
only keep us from like either it's really great or it's really trash mm-hmm. all that middle ground mm-hmm. stuff no thank you where's that board i want them to step in and just block all this mediocre bullshit in between if it is between a 10 percent and a 70 percent on rotten tomatoes take you keep it yeah yeah i don't need it i don't even know who you are anymore is it really that awful to want to be popular she's too young premieres at eight monday night only on lifetime I, I, as far as I'm concerned, it's furbots or it's inside. And to be clear, as much as I'm like poking at La Femme and all this stuff, like inside is a very well-crafted movie. When you watch it, the craft of the film, it's in every scene. And it's wild that this isn't on more people's radars. I, I think part of it is obviously the distribution, which I think Sam gets into in a little bit. Well, and the thing I, yeah. I think about that era too, that, that I do very much appreciate Thanks, um, is the, the playfulness with, um, you know, Alex Jung had a great piece on like what happened to the new queer cinema a couple years ago. Oh, on wow. Vulture, a couple new years queers. ago on Vulture. Did I talk about Tammy he talked about, I think it was around the time like maybe Love, Simon came out and there was a sort of conversation around like the very normative way that that story was packaged and told. And it's extremely successful and that kind of exposure is great for, for queer movies and queer audiences in its own way. But it was talking about how like a part of the new queer cinema was cinema was um, not just putting gays, putting queers front and center. It was fucking with form and expectation and what defined a protagonist. And, it you know, people, you know, in the midst of the AIDS crisis, when it wasn't like a hero's journey, it was fucking sad and it was yeah. hard. And the idea of anti-heroes and people who were imperfect and going through these mm. these great struggles in sort of like slow play journeys like Gus Van Zandt films do, that was a part Living of the queering of it. cinema was yes. to, to queer the structure of it. And I think what you see yes. with the new French extremity, and it's it just, I think there's more play with f- sort of form outside of American Borders too, is you have a foundational text of it and like as it would emerge in the 2000s with um, Gaspar Noé's Carnet, like mm. where it's 40 minutes long and it's just this this parade of of awfulness like it, it's i was queued up last night i couldn't find anything with american subtitles but i want to just like look back at snippets of it and to kind of revisit the vibe and i jumped to two points and there was one like I, the first thing i clicked on was a baby coming out of a vagina like it was an actual birth being filmed then i clicked back to another point and it was a cow that had been had its throat cut and it was just spewing blood out which i'm pretty i'm almost positive was something they actually did was just slaughter oh, a cow God. and film it and I was like, okay, so that I got what I came here for. Like, I know what I needed to know. And then I clicked forward ahead a little bit and it's the butcher and he's like drying his daughter who's like entering puberty, coming out of the shower. He has a towel wrapped around her and he's like rubbing her body oh, down. I hate this. That's just 40 minutes long. And oh. you cited another like 50 minute movie earlier in this in the conversation, Sam, too. And then yeah. you have the Irreversible. Sea. So good. Which one? See the sea. See the sea. See the sea. That's the one. And then you have Irreversible where Noe is telling a movie, it's telling a story in reverse. And just the 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 play and the sort of gah, go fuck it with form is something that I am very happy about. And as I see where sort of in the United States right now in the way like cultures be- like film cultures become so much more global because of digital and you can you can watch see C to C and then right after it you can go watch Halloween 2018 from Blumhouse you can have that you can have that double any night of the week if you want like to where we now have like the populist wave of the populist segment of movies and the art house segment of movies have merged to one which was like I, I think it's like very much what you know A24 has tapped into 
I want to see an escalation now of the strange. And I think that's something I've talked about on the pod before here too, whereas I think the next form of how we do movies best here, at least making things in the United States, is to embrace that ability to say fuck form and make an hour-long movie like Host and put it up in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. It didn't have to be 90 minutes. Strange 24. an hour of story and we executed yes. a perfect hour kind of thing. I would like to see that freedom with like, look, some TV shows are eight episodes. Network TV shows are sometimes 20 episodes. White Lotus they can is like be five. 10 minutes. They can be 20 minutes. Yeah. They can be 48 minutes. Whatever you want. Whatever the story dictates. There's not one prescribed way for a show has to look. There's not one prescribed way for what a movie has to look like either. And this, this era of filmmakers Amen. was like... We don't give a shit about the prescribed way of how you said literal querying of the text. I think we're always going to see that on, you know, whether you're talking about the new queer cinema that was fucking the form or or the new French extremity that was an active confrontation outside of the the cultural norm or, um, you know, fucking with form and length. That stuff, I think it might always dance close to the mainstream or to the populace. And it might even like broach it a little bit in the way that like a 24 has, has managed to pull those sensibilities in a little bit. But in my mind, it's always going to come from the more adventurous. It's always going to come from like, you know, where we're never going to see Blumhouse just, that's not their interest, right? Like, yeah, that's not their interest. They, that's not their interest. We're always going to have to seek that stuff out. Yeah. And that's fine too, because the, I think to your point, there's more access to that stuff than ever. There's a, a filmmaker named Kalika La, who made a movie called uh, Field N-Word. Um, it's an incredible documentary. It's about an hour long. Mm. And it's this very like poetic collage of just the people who hang and live around 125th Street in Harlem. Um, and it, it's stunning. And it, it almost, it, and it's completely out of normal sync. You know, you're getting mm-hmm. different interviews, seeing different images. They're not syncing up. You're just really getting a sense of what it is to be in that atmosphere. And I think his next film, Black Mother, was not a traditional length. Um, and, and that stuff is some of the most exciting stuff I'm seeing. And I, I think it's always going to be outside because in this, Inside was outside at the time, right? Like it was yeah. a failure in France. It wasn't a big horror hit. And mm-hmm. it probably wasn't even a big hit here. It just found the yeah. kids, you know? I mean, and one of the big bummers to me is that I don't think it's been able to cement its legacy within the genre because of that lack of access. You know, Mm. it is stuck Ah. in this dimension library, this Weinstein company library. It only has a DVD release. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, where their stuff is now is is in some very strange places. It's gone to companies Mm -hmm. that aren't traditional distributors that are buying things up for IP. And then the catalog is then being sub distributed to other people. You know, I'm having a hard time, trying to understand where inside is so I can put it on shutter. So hopefully more people right. see it. But I think it's one Sam. of those things where Please. that access, it falls out, it falls out of public view. It falls out of ready access. And mm-hmm. then, you know, I would imagine I, there's a lot of younger listenership for you mm-hmm. who haven't heard of or seen this movie. I hope they have. And if they haven't, I can't wait right. for them to, but it's a bummer that I can't be like, yo, go watch it on Amazon Prime, go watch it on shutter, yeah. go watch it on this. Or at least like Tubi. there. Um, right. And to me, this is like an all-timer of that decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it I should agree. be there. And I do feel like it shows up on a lot of people from that decade, that list, like their list. It was, <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, I mean, it was a part of the cultural, Same. kind of the pop and cultural I climate. I, lost it. I was looking this movie for it was last big. night and like had this momentary panic of like, I don't know how to watch it now. Um, mm-hmm. And then I found it, thankfully. But 
I I will like to to sort of bring it around to a concluding point. I I I will say it's it's almost like I don't want for it to have been the case, but it's also kind of heartening to know because I you know especially like thinking of like international art films, you imagine like it coming out and everybody like that that you know when it came out in France, French people were like, yes, I understand this. This is art. But, like the idea that it <laughs> the that it that. wasn't necessarily a big deal there, and that we spend our time on this movie talking about on this podcast talking about movies that even if they were a big deal because they got a lot of publicity, they weren't properly appreciated in their time for what they were. It is so, I love the fact that it actually is a completely reasonable compliment in the way that these movies deserve reappraisal and deserve to be brought to the present. Um, Inside is the French, I can have this same kind of conversation about Inside, an objectively very good and probably to me the pinnacle of what, like the the ultimate evolution, the final form of what the New French Extremity movement was doing in in the 2000s, that it absolutely for that reason in its lack of being heralded upon arrival and lack of access, you know, for, for us here in the States, it deserves the exact kind of treatment that The Roommate does. Because that That's movie, too, was not seen for its its merits at the time because people only took it sort of on its face value. And, and yeah, we had a lot of access to it. It was a Leighton Meester make a Kelly movie. But they are companions Allie Erasure, in their Jordan. unheralded landing in theaters at the time of their release. And I, I love that in, the, in that way... The quiets of the world yeah. and the inside of the insides of the world are cousins. They is, are connected. Uh, wait, I have a question about the roommate because I only saw it once. Is that one <laughs> of the um, mid to late two thousands Cam Gigande specials, like where he showed up in every movie? Oh yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Playing exactly Good who Cam Gigande Never back play. <laughs> his way through it. No, and Sam, actually, you would love this movie because I know you like Ali and AJ. You have your mm-hmm. own connection with them, um, as do I. And Ali is like. A huge part of this, she gets like her. Yeah, belly I can't highly recommend. Down. I can't highly recommend enough our podcast. Uh, oh, and you should you listen to the episode that goes with considering it. Yeah. the roommate again because we we fucking go. We we get on that train. It is charging through. And uh, listen, is it better than a has... white female? Hmm? Case to be made. Of course. Well, it's a remix, but you know, I, I will superior. say I greatly enjoyed the Black Xmas episode with Chelsea because um, <laughs> I love that movie. Um, and, and I think Chelsea made a lot of great points about just like loving what you love and yep. not letting yes. anyone. If you love it, it's worth loving. Because no, it was wonderful. I She said she had a monologue prepared. I didn't expect it to be, An as she said, a monologue. love letter to yeah. Sam and Jordan. <laughs> it was very, very wonderful. It was so touching. Do you guys have any, so do you have any, oh, I was just going to say, do you have any like shut it down points that you want to make about Inside after all of the things that we have covered on this, I've loved the I've loved the free associative nature of the conversation. We're having. Oh, and free associative um, nature for I, me. Oh no, please no, go, go ahead, for, Sam. Go for it. Go yeah, for no, but I was talking to both Sams. So I one time I dated a Sam, and we were both named Sam. So anytime we went anywhere, it was just like what what bumbling over it. Um, he embarrassingly called us the Sams. That's fascinating. Yeah, no, I mean it was kind <laughs> of gross when you think about it, but I mean it was fun. Uh, it, have you oh, ever 100%. made out with somebody with your name? Ugh. Weird. Yeah, once we once we get once we cement these weekly zooms that we're going to be having where we just like it's coffee talk about like archival <laughs> horror. Oh my god, yeah. yeah, that too. Um also not just our ex-boyfriends. What a weird place to take our podcast, Sam. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, no, I'm I know. Very curious <laughs> to hear this thought. Yeah. 
No, I I think that in the world that we recorded this in at the time, you know, Zoom was our life. It was everything around us. And that's why something like Host was especially effective, but still in its moment. Like it was horror yeah. of that moment. And that's something I love about Inside. You know, you can compare a film like Inside in 2007, right after the French riots, and living in that world, but not on the nose commenting about the world. Mm-hmm. That's the same way that something like Host in in it, emerging in a pandemic environment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it exists in a space where people cannot leave their homes. And we know that the pandemic happens because they kind of like elbow bump. And yet mm-hmm. it's not commenting on it. It's not over the top. There's not some moment where it's like, it's just shoving our faces in it. And I think that's what makes mm-hmm. Host so successful. So thinking about something like Host, something like Inside, these these cultural touch points that are, they, they kind of just yeah. exist in the space of a history. Yeah. And it allows us access to that history without feeling burdened by it, mm-hmm. um, really like carrying the weight of it with us. And I think that's something that's so special about all of this era. When we think about Ott's history, which just is not told in the way that it should be or talked about as often as it should be. Mm. And these films that have been lost kind of to the sands of time, what we're saying is not just that these films are worth watching. We're saying this history is worth telling. It is worth sitting down and having a real conversation about the things that led to what we watched and whether it's their successes or their failings. I want to talk about the shortcomings because they were reflective of the real experiences that we had as people and particularly for me as a queer person living through the odds. So I actually think for this podcast, something like Inside is a perfect selection. Yeah. I, it, it really just fits right into the thing that we're doing. Um, it doesn't have to be happening right here to fit into our timeline. It anchors us in the timeline. Um, and plus, it's yeah. so often just... It's at the very least yeah. a compulsory heteronormativity, which rapidly otherizes anything outside of that, anything outside of that, like, necessary heteronormative representation. Absolutely. I was talking about straight people again. God damn. <laughs> like, I swear to God, there is, like, two minutes of every episode dedicated to me talking, like, tearing down straight people, which is very rude because our guest today is straight. Um, I, I'm Sam, I'm sorry. I Thank yeah. you for putting up with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, that's anytime you have a... That's the that's the especially looking back on things that that are that are you know previous prior to the discourses we have now, um, and and in different countries how they handle the notion of discourse and where the idea of um, progressiveness in film and whether or not art separates from artist and intention it like how you know what is is or isn't off limits in, in cinema that kind of thing. Um, anytime you're working in the realm of if the intention of the art is to break taboo what you're inevitably going to run up against is what, well, then what do you consider taboo? Baby like POV, killing pregnant 100%. women, cutting babies out of their body. I think I would like to think cross-culturally we say no. Uh, we say very yeah. bad. But the idea of, okay, well, what's a taboo? Gay kissing. What's a taboo? <laughs> yes. Consent. Like, we can watch a woman cut a baby out of her butt. Let's mash those two together right. and make like a lesbian kiss moment. Like that's really another escalation of just like we dare you to look away. And the mm. idea of daring someone to look away at the notion of a a queer kiss is like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's kind of wild that when you think about the odds and a queer kiss being the scariest thing that you can no. imagine yeah it's 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 something that's like designed to repulse audiences and yeah. you can see by the way that it's presented in a film like high tension yeah. that they want a specific result like a response it's interesting i want to 
see I'm, I, I'm i'm gonna go back and rewatch this kiss um you got to because i i'm appreciating this perspective in a way that i didn't have and i think it's because i was zeroing in god it sounds like i made a really great point the and to me there was this element of as, as ritualistic and and yeah. her viewing this baby as religious in a way and so i part of me took that kiss as oh, wait, this sort there... of like kiss to you know the mother mary or something like that That's i'm right. going to take your There's baby and like this religious aspect to it so i'm going. really appreciating hearing your take on it because i don't think i would have i'll get back to that guys looked at it like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 you know and these are things that it's they're 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 like oh bummer like fuck that these are these are the realities of the time the things that we discuss on this pod, the movies that come from this time capsule, it is, you know, even if, uh, you know, from the regrettable to the cringeworthy to the whatever in between, it's so important. Like, we have these things on the record and we cannot forget the time before. We have to take these things into account to understand how to improve upon them and, and, and understand why they were either transgressive or regressive right. and what the difference is. And so it's a it is a gift to be able to reconsider these things and to grow from the road like looking at the roadmap behind us and then using that to inform how we proceed forward. I'm grateful for the opportunity opportunity to do that. And it's you know it's it's to say like oh I wish that wasn't a part of it is like saying well I wish there was never homophobia. I wish there was never misogyny, <laughs> which is just not an option on the fucking menu. So as yeah. long as it's there, I would like I want to engage in it and I want to look at it head on and I want to interrogate it for what was you know really going on the ways we missed and the ways it shows us that we can get better or the ways it shows that we can at least learn and be more empathetic. And while we were talking about high tension in a lot of parts of this, because Mm -hmm. high tension is a French horror film. It's hard not to draw comparisons. They were both huge at this time yet Mm -hmm. inside, you know, never quite reached the audience that high tension did. It really is what I was talking about was the moment where there's a kind of forced lesbian kiss. Yeah. And, and to me where I think for maybe an average straight viewer, they might miss that moment, but for a queer viewer, when I'm seeing the way that it is horror, it is non-consensual, mm-hmm. and it is queer. And it's like, what mm-hmm. could be more horrific than a person of the same sex kissing your lips? And we yeah. see that not just in something like High Tension or Inside, but we, we see that in the genre again and again. And it's I'm not saying they're homophobic. What I'm saying is it's culturally the moment. And Sam, Sam Z, do you have any <laughs> do you have any parting notes? Um, I don't know if I have any parting notes. I really just, um, I thank you for having me on to talk about this. No, I love this thank movie. you and, for coming. No, we know, appreciate you so taking much that what time. We talked about in the way that it is confrontational while still being chilling and emotional and emotionally brutal, but physically brutal. Um, mm-hmm. yes, I think it's a bit of a masterful movie. I think it's one of the great horror debuts. Mm. I think it, 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 there is a lot of great horror. We are living through and that yeah. we yeah. saw pre- in the re- previous decades i mean there's so much great horror but you know when someone says to me like what's your favorite horror movie since 2000 or something instinctually this yeah. is kind of what rises to me yeah. um i like I that remember. about you i always remember this movie i love to revisit and i i just am appreciative to talk about it because i feel like there isn't a lot of talk about it these mm-hmm. days and i blame that on the access I, I blame that on the sort of opportunities that have and haven't been afforded to the filmmakers mm-hmm. um and i'm excited hopefully to see what they come out with i i hope people who haven't seen inside go check it out and think about it and talk about it and go support a video store and find inside yeah um there's a 
there's a great DVD of it, which is fun to say. Um, and don't be fooled by the cover. Like, the movie itself, and, worthwhile. you know, I was thinking, just because I was pumped to throw out recommendations, um, there's a Please. movie that's about a year or two after this, if I'm remembering correctly, and it came up in my brain while I was watching Inside that I think has been similarly left behind, but I think it's mm. similarly great. It's from Hong Kong. It's called Dream Home. And... I think it is. I haven't seen Dream Home, but I've heard of it. it Okay. Yeah. It's a great movie starring Josie Ho about a woman who uh, wants to live in this high rise more than anything as a symbol of status. Uh, But a lot of things in her life have obstructed that, especially taking care of her sick father. Mm -hmm. And when she is denied this because of her financial situation, because of her access, she decides to lower the costs by going on a slasher spree up the building. And it's a really (laughs) darkly funny movie, but incredibly brutal movie. Um, And it's great. And uh, I I similarly hasn't been around, but I think it's more available than inside um, because IFC put it out back in the day. So um, it's great. I I recommend that movie and I love inside with all my heart. So thank you for having me on to talk about it. And I love your recommends. <laughs> I call into the horror thing like the Shutter does for your recommends every time, and they're no, 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 always no. right. Um, you're the reason, uh, Jordan, that there is that sh- that movie with the Australian thing. Um, I can't remember, but I imagine I said it here. Um, but they do a dance. Yeah, I don't know. It's great. Uh, if you guys get the chance, call in to the Shutter hotline whenever they have Sam Zimmerman doing recommends because I'm telling you, yeah. he nails the, it. The musical number. Oh, yeah. So I did talk about the Australian movie. <laughs> I think it's called Dead kids dead children no dead kids sounds right yeah no but there's like this crazy like lightning strikes again thing that's happening there that that's is just like it. yeah it's wild it's great. um Got also it. there's like some weird like getting out of the shower tension that i probably didn't talk about here but like yep. very gay oh yeah i, I, mean, I like no, that wasn't me that was just me remembering a great scene in a great movie i <laughs> i listen uh thank you that's very nice of you to say but i just try to stay curious and watch as much as i can no, you're you're a you're a fabulous recommender and a great guest to have on the show. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to it. I'm so glad that we could watch one of your all time favorites. That's always thrilling. And, it's an honor. Um, where would you really? like to Where would you like to direct people to find you or let them know about anything, Sam? Well, I hope you, uh, if you're listening and you are not subscribed to Shutter, I would hope you'll at least consider it. But please go do. Um, we're streaming. And I would recommend. It's pretty worth it, honestly. I recommend highly that you become a member. I think we do a good job. Um, I'm very proud of this year's slate of movies. Um, I strive every year to make our programming unignorable. So I hope this year's is as well. Um, especially some of the stuff coming up. If Queen of Black Magic hits next week and it is like. This was recorded a while ago, but look for it. I am the creepy, crawly, goopy, gory centipedes out of your eyes, Friday night horror goodness that I think we're all craving. So. Yeah. By the time this comes out. Um, Jordan, you have no idea by the time this comes out. Oh, my God. My fault. My fault. I hope we will have all watched Queen of Black Magic because I'm looking so forward to that movie. And I, my future self, I think, is already thrilled that it has come out. And so many good things have and come then, out since then. And then the week after, we have uh, a brilliant, um, very low budget, but like stunningly crafted Mary Shelley psychodrama that is very confrontational about. Uh, it's called A Nightmare Wakes, and it's by a filmmaker named Nora Uncle. This is her first film. She did an incredible job making a period piece on a low budget. And it's about Mary Shelley uh, throughout the writing of Frankenstein, uh, being very psychologically confronted and going through quite a lot, including um, some pregnancy issues. It's wow. a very truthful and very emotional movie. 
And so, you know, you'll find a lot of variety within the genre on, on Shutter. Queer so Horror Queen, Mary Shelley. And if you want to tweet your opinions at me, feel free. I'm at Sam D. Zimmerman. Uh, I don't always respond because I don't like to argue on Twitter, <laughs> but, you know, that's beside the point. Well, you can find me uh, at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U, or on Patreon at patreon.com slash Cruciola. And Sam Weinman, where can the people find you? You can find me at Sam Weinman on Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, you can just Google me. I'm sure I'll pop up. My mom Googles me constantly. Um, that's how I always find out things are happening. Please do. It's really excellent. Oh, I talked about The Quiet Room. See it. And when Sam mentioned talking about making high production value of a very low budget, he really succeeded oh. there. So, uh, Sam, you know, thank if you, you are to trust my taste like Sam has asked you to, I'm going to turn <laughs> around and tell you to watch The Quiet Room. Yeah, The Quiet Room. Well, I love I, I love closing I love closing any show on a Sam Weinman Quiet I Room I love club. that ending. So, I totally forgot. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Sam Zimmerman, for thank you, Sam. bringing us this movie and this discussion today. And you'll surely be back to us on Austerion for more brilliant insights.